Welcome to the Independent News Hour. In the headlines today, New York City voters head to the polls to vote for a new mayor and city council. The Glasgow Climate Summit in Scotland enters its second day. And 34 NYPD officers go on unpaid leave after refusing to be vaccinated. Good evening. In New York, I'm John Tarleton, editor-in-chief of The Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website. In the news, New York City voters are heading to the polls today to choose their next mayor, comptroller, public advocate, and city council. Former NYPD police captain and Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams is the overwhelming favorite to become New York City's 110th mayor. The Democratic's nominee spoke with reporters after he voted this morning. ever told they're never about to anything. Every child with a learning disability. Every inmate sitting like this. Yes. Every dishwasher. Curtis Sliwa, founder of the Guardian Angels, is the Republican nominee. He told the Independent that if elected, he would reward city workers who have refused to be vaccinated. You know, de Blasio on his way out, he's like Michael Corleone, he's trying to settle all scores. He first fired healthcare workers and teachers who wouldn't take the shot. Now he's going to impair the firefighters, the police, the sanitation workers, other civil servants. Not only will they suffer, but we the people will suffer because the services, which are not adequate now, will be diminished. So when I'm mayor, I hire back all the civil servants who've been fired, give them back pay, and we have a second parade through the Canyon of Heroes to recognize the tremendous risk that they took for us during the lockdown. Socialist Kathy Rojas is also on the ballot for mayor today. Speaking at her final campaign rally last night, she called for a city government that meets the needs of the working class. Earlier today, the Indies Amber Gagarian spoke with voters outside a Brooklyn polling station about who they are supporting and what they want to see the new city government do. The mayor choice I had was Curtis. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll tell you why I voted for him. I came to this country in 1989, and he's always been around as as an activist, always trying to do good with with the neighborhood, with the communities. So seeing him on the ballot is uh, pretty exciting for me. Um, So I figured, why not give him a shot? Um, at the mayoral run, and uh, and yeah, I really hope that uh, that he's better than our current mayor because okay. um, I'm not a big fan of the guy. Um, but I want him to to focus on the everyday life of the citizen of New York, meaning public transportation, schools, um, and not focus so much on his career. Uh, Eric Adams. Okay. And I will vote for him because I just believe in his policies. Uh, I'm a lifelong Democrat, and um, 
I have been satisfied with what the Democratic Party has done for me, particularly during the COVID, uh, in this district. So mm-hmm. that's why it's important to me. Um, safer schools. Uh, I have two children, so I would like safer schools. I voted for um, Eric Adams, and I voted for him uh, basically because uh, he's largely endorsed by the my, my union, and also the the opponent seems a little off to me, and so I didn't feel secure voting for him. Um, that's it in a nutshell, and. Um, um, I think what I would like to see is, is a mayor that's, that really knows and understands the city. And not just from um, civil workers, um, you know, from all the way up to all the way down, even to the immigrants, like to, to recognize who actually lives here. Who did you vote for and why? I voted for Eric Adams, uh, mainly because I see him speaking a lot on the news, talking about the changes as far as being a part of this city and seeing the things that has happened to us as a people, even as not just black people, but everyone in general, um, things that matter um, as far as gun laws and, you know, housing, affordable housing, um, down to schools, you know, what needs to happen as far as like what Mayor de Blasio is also trying to do as far as the GNT program. I've seen what it can do as far as like uh, separating groups, smart and so-called dumb. Some people believe that because they do say that, unfortunately. Um, but we see who gets into those programs. New Yorkers are also voting today on five ballot initiatives. The initiatives cover redistricting, expanding voting rights, and guaranteeing the right to clean air and water in the New York State Constitution. This evening, the Independent News Hour will host a two-hour election night special from 7 to 9 p.m. here on WBAI Radio. In Glasgow, Scotland, world leaders met for a second day at a U.N. climate summit. Agreements have been reached to curb emissions of methane, a potent greenhouse gas, and to end deforestation by 2030. However, there's been little progress in securing aggressive commitments to reach net zero emissions globally, which would slow the rising temperatures that have led to lethal fires, floods, droughts, and heat waves around the world. On Friday, hundreds of climate justice protesters rallied and marched through New York Financial District calling for the defunding of climate chaos. <laughs> In Kenosha, Wisconsin, a jury has been seated in the murder trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who shot and killed two Black Lives Matter protesters and wounded a third in Kenosha during an August 2020 protest against the police shooting of Jacob Blake. Rittenhouse is claiming self-defense. Trial judge Bruce Schroeder has already ruled that prosecutors may not refer to the three people who were shot by Rittenhouse as, quote, victims, but they can be described as arsonists or looters. In Dallas, Texas, hundreds of QAnon adherents have gathered today in Dealey Plaza, the site of the 1963 assassination of President John F. Kennedy. They believe that Kennedy's son, John F. Kennedy Jr., will appear and declare Donald Trump president. However, JFK Jr. died in a plane crash 22 years ago. And finally, in kooky conspiracy land, 34 NYPD police officers have been placed on unpaid leave after refusing to be vaccinated. As many as 10,000 NYPD cops had threatened to quit if forced to take a COVID-19 vaccine. Given that these are the same people who must carefully weigh evidence before deciding to arrest and charge the rest of us with crimes, maybe their unpaid leave should be made permanent. We'll be back with our first guest after this short break. 
Welcome, and you're listening to the Independence News Hour on WBAI Radio in New York. I'm John Tarleton, editor in chief of the Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website. You can find our latest news at independent.org, and you can find our new November print edition in our red and white news boxes across the city, in public libraries, ind- independent bookstores, and other venues. For our first uh, segment tonight, we're going to talk about debt, consumer debt, medical debt, student loan debt, and so on. Tens of millions of Americans are debt debt burdened with tr- many trillions of dollars in debt. Uh, Ten years ago, th- this was one of the main concerns of people who rallied at Zuccotti Park for Occupy Wall Street. All these debt burdens, uh, is there something we can do about it? Uh, one group that uh, came out of that is called the Debt Collective, and they've come up with uh, some very ingenious approaches to dealing with debt and helping people find debt relief. They've also they're also uh, advocating for major uh, policy changes, including uh, uh, abolishing 1.7 trillion dollars in student loan debt, which we will also talk about in a few minutes. Uh, but um, as we get going here, we're, I look forward to uh, welcoming uh, Braxton Brewington, the spokesperson for the Debt Collective. Uh, Braxton, welcome to WBAI Radio. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Sure. So uh, you all made the news recently when you uh, were able to uh, wipe away $3 million in carceral debt uh, for um, a number of people in, in Mississippi and Florida who had gone through the uh, the courts and the prison and industrial complex. Can you uh, talk about what you all accomplished and how you all were able to uh, do that? Yeah. So essentially, when debt is uh, goes to collectors, it often gets sold on this secondary market, a very shady network of buyers and sellers for often pennies on the dollar. And so what the debt collective did was for a little bit less than $98,000, we were able to purchase nearly $3.3 million. So that's about a 97% discount or three pennies on the dollar. We purchased over $3 million worth of private probation debt for people across the South, mostly in Mississippi and Florida, but residing in states nearby, such as Alabama, Georgia, North Carolina, and even Tennessee. What this really does, um, you know, for one is really highlight a very phony morality of debt, of asking the question, who owes what to whom? We sent letters to all of these people. We canceled debt for about 20,500 plus people. We sent letters to each individual person saying, this is a a no strings attached gift. You no longer owe this debt. Um, And we hope that you would also consider joining the debt collective and banding together because we believe when debtors collectively uh, join together that they can begin to leverage power in the similar way that workers do. Mm. And that $98,000 you raised, you know, it's kind of like a, a GoFundMe uh, kind of approach. Well, so in the past, we've raised money from a variety of different ways, whether it's um, individual donors or our debtors union. So people contribute um, monthly or whenever they can, or we have um, donors come through. So it's a sort of collection of, whatever way we can find uh, a way to improve people's lives. Right. And that's really amazing. You're, you're able to uh, purchase the debt at a 97% discount. 
so I understand you all have uh, uh, bigger plans afoot uh, to try to wipe away uh, $500 million of uh, bail debt in California? Right. So what we're really trying to highlight is a larger carceral system. We in the United States are indebted for our health care, for going to college, for housing, but we're also in debt for our own incarceration. And so we call this a, a carceral system. So along with eliminating private probation debt uh, in, largely in the South, we also developed an online legal mutual aid tool that right now only works for the state of California. We hope it can soon expand, but it's significant to start in California because the national bail in the United States is $10,000. In California, it's $50,000. And so what's happening is largely Black and Latino men are being arrested and sent to jail. And what happens is it's often the women of color and their families that have to take on these, that have to co-sign these bail bond contracts. And so they're taking on this enormous amount of debt to help their loved ones, uh, these folks who are in their family, who are being arrested and sent to jail. And so they have to sign these predatory bail bonds contracts. Now, oftentimes, these predatory, violent bail bonds companies take advantage of these folks. So say, for example, if I call a bail bonds company in Spanish and we have a conversation in Spanish and then you give me a contract to sign in English, that is a type of debt that's often eligible to be disputed. And so that could be disputed null and void. And so what this tool does, now often a, a person could assert to this bail bonds company, I was harassed on the phone by you all, or this uh, type of, um, the way that I was treated was illegal and this debt should be null and void. These companies are so powerful and predatory that they can often ignore these claims. What the debt collective is doing is collectively using this tool, asserting all of these legal claims at once. And just the sheer power of often having a lawyer behind you or, you know, collective debtor power is, is enough to dispute a lot of this, these um, predatory bail debts. And so this tool will work for about a million Californians, which unfortunately totals to a little bit over 500, what we estimate to be a little bit over $500 million. Right. And we say bail. I mean, another word for this could be uh, ransom that these uh, people have to pay. Yeah. To get their loved ones uh, out of jail. Um, now, I mean, a lot of this is really ingenious. Um, but of course, some uh, some debts uh, require uh, some uh, debt crises re require um, uh, policy level solutions. And recently, New York Congresswoman uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, called on uh, debt uh, activists and, and groups like yours to really uh, sort of ramp up their activity um, advance of this February when the 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 federal moratorium on student uh, loan uh, payments is scheduled to end, and it appears the Biden administration is going to let that moratorium uh, expire at the beginning of, of February. Um, can you talk about uh, just talk about that for a minute and, and what you all have in mind? And then I want to after yeah. that we're going to want to pivot pivot to another guest who is uh, currently fighting uh, debt uh, right in front of City Hall with his. Uh, uh, fellow taxi drivers. Absolutely. So student debt in the United States is at this point a little bit above $1.8 trillion. That's trillion with a T. 93% of student loans are 
owned by the federal government. And so the federal government actually has the authority, the legal authority, to eliminate all of these student loans. The rest of the debt is privately owned, and that might require legislation. It gets a bit tricky. But the Biden administration, with the flick of a pen, Biden can sign an executive order today. He could have signed it on his inauguration day. Um, he, with the flick of a pen, he can eliminate, he can completely get rid of federal student loans. And so what we have now is a movement to pressure Joe Biden to cancel student loans. And Representative AOC, who has been a steadfast champion in um, advocating for the Biden administration to cancel student debt, you know, said, mentioned the other day, via her Instagram story that, you know, we have to gear up for taking action. So the payment is is slated to start back on February 1st, January 31st is when the moratorium ends. And so we're taking action with um, a lot, lots of direct action in January before those payments get turned on. Okay. Speaking of uh, taking direct action against debt, uh, there have been uh, uh, indebted taxi drivers, yellow cab drivers, uh, who've been holding a 24-7 protest encampment in front, uh, on the sidewalk on Broadway next to City Hall for over a month now. And they're about two weeks into a hunger strike as well that a number of them are participating in. And also uh, several elected officials have joined them, um, uh, socialists, uh, Zoran Mamdani uh, and, and uh, uh, Shahana Hanif and, and others. But... Um, I, I want to welcome uh, William uh, Ritsiu uh, to the show. He's a, a taxi driver who's uh, got a medallion debt that was created by a really a price inflation scam that the Bloomberg administration uh, launched about a decade ago and has trapped a lot of longtime taxi drivers in uh, an average of $550,000 in debt per driver after, a, in many cases, decades of driving they find themselves uh, more in debt than when they started. So, uh, William, welcome to WBAI Radio. Thank you. It's a pleasure to meet you. It's uh, an honor, and in the meantime, it's a part of our fight. It's uh, very hard. It's cold here. It uh, becomes colder and colder. But you have in front of the mayor's office in Broadway and Murray Street, but taxi drivers will never give up. We'll ne- we will never give up until the uh, achievement is done. It's right. a predatory lending which happened before, and then this was the first crisis, impossible to pay $4,000 and six, dollars $7,000 per month for the mortgage. When uh, you have uh, $5 here and $20 there collected, and you have to pay for the food, you have to pay for the repairs. You have to pay all the expenses to the TLC, which months like six, much more. Right. And, and uh, can you talk just a little bit about how you and the other hunger strikers are doing? I mean, this is a really uh, quite a, uh, a sacrifice y'all are making to try to get the attention of the mayor. Yeah, we tried more than uh, this uh, months. We tried in the much more longer, uh, several months already. It's, uh, see, we are uh, the lucky one. Why? Because we are still alive. But we have 11 taxi drivers which committed suicide during time because they were not able to pay. The lenders were coming after their homes. After uh, and uh, when they saw the no exit, no solution, no human solution 
no honest solution for all of this, they committed suicide. So I can say that we continue their fight. Right. And can you uh, sum up uh, for our listeners real quickly what you all would like to see the city do? Of course, it's very important. It's very simple. The city doesn't have to come with the money. They came with only 65, which became $75 million. And uh, they said, uh, we'll pay the lenders $20,000 for every medallion and is discussable also. Not this is the problem. The problem is the this money can be used much wiser. I mean, uh, our uh, Taxi Worker Alliance sister Desai uh, noticed very right that practically uh, all what we can do after the food and expenses and all of the gas and repairs for the taxi, all what we can come a month, it's $750, not $2,000, not $4,000. Or the city doesn't want to uh, convince the lenders to drop the mortgage from $300 to $125,000. Right. And then if the mortgages, the, the more, if the mortgages drop to $125, then we come with the $750, our goal. Uh, everything it's uh, described in the New York Times in August last year on 13 pages. It's amazing. We had 13 cities agencies sleeping instead of stopping the artificial increase of the uh, mortgage and the selling practically of the of the taxi medallion from a uh, hundred thousand dollars to one million five hundred thousand dollars they collected a lot of money yeah city collected this money nobody else the drivers committed suicide because they were not able to pay Right. We're going to have to leave here in a sec, but uh, so the, the drivers want their, their monthly payments reduced to a more manageable $750 a month, and, and that would make it possible for you all to uh, make a living. For everybody, and, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll have to leave it there, but uh, 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 New Yorkers and, and people elsewhere fighting debts, carceral debt, taxi driver debt, student loan debt. Uh, William Ritzieu and Braxton Brewington, thank you both for joining us on the Independent News Hour. We thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Well, we'll be back after this short break, and when we come back, we'll talk about a big environmental victory that recently took place in in Queens and uh, one of the organizers that was involved in that. The views expressed on this recording are solely those of the artists, and by no means do we encourage or condone violence against law officials. Now we got these fake cops, they thought he had it. 
Made a mistake, cops. I hate cops. Turn on the TV. Is this another cop busted for illegal business? They out of control. They out of their minds. They pulling you over. They hopping inside. Just know you got drugs and know you got. And they know when they mad when they can't find none. Stupid. Don't you know they get in at the stash box? They and they need a key to get in it. And they offended people. Cause all y'all off the wall get stupid, dog. Don't hold back. Don't let go. Don't say damn. Just say whoa. That was uh, F the Police by J.D. Clean. You're listening to the Independent News Hour. I'm your host, John Tarleton, Editor-in-Chief of the Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website. Before we continue with our second segment, I want to encourage everyone who can do so to give generously to WBAI and help keep shows like this on the air, help keep voices like Braxton Brewington and our, our other guest, uh, William Ritzu, on the air and the, the voices of our upcoming guests and all the voices that you hear on WBAI throughout the week, the public affairs, the news, the arts and culture, all here on this listener-sponsored uh, community radio station. No corporate sponsors. Uh, no corporate programming, original community-based radio station. Uh, once again, you can give by calling 212-209-2950 or going straight to give2wbai.org. And you can make a one-time donation, or you can sign up to become a WBAI buddy for as little as $10 a month and receive all sorts of awesome benefits. And even better than the benefits, you'll be helping keep this radio station on the air. Help keep the community in community radio. Once again, that phone number is 212-209-2950. And the, or you can go online, give number two, WBAI.org. And moving on to our next segment, uh, environmentalists and, and others won a big victory last week in, uh, in Astoria, Queens, when a when uh, Governor Kathy Hochul conceded to uh, many months uh, of, of uh, organizing and pressure uh, from uh, community activists, environmentalists, and others uh, to not uh, give a permit to a, a gas peaker plant uh, that would have been installed in Astoria. And we're going to hear more about uh, why this was a significant victory and how uh, the, org the organizing for this came together and was so effective that uh, the governor of New York uh, decided the better thing to do would be to uh, to kill this uh, uh, power plant. And to talk about this is with us is uh, Lee Zishi of Sane Energy. Lee, welcome to WBAI Radio. Yeah, thanks so much for, for having me back. You bet. Always great to have you join us. Uh, so first of all, uh, can you talk about what a gas peaker plant is and, and why it was opposed uh, by so many groups in, in North Brooklyn and, and Queens? 
Yeah. So, you know, on the hottest days of the year is when we use the most electricity um, in New York City. You know, everyone's blasting their ACs. It's hot. We need a lot of a lot of energy. And what happens is um, some of the dirtiest power plants in the state turn on to meet that peak demand. Um, and the proposal for Astoria was to run that plant on fracked gas. You know, we, we ban fracking here in New York, but we are still um, importing a ton of gas from states like Pennsylvania that are fracking. Um, so this, get, this power plant would have run on frack gas on the hottest days of the year. Um, one that's, you know, very awful for our climate. Uh, fracked gas is even stronger of a greenhouse gas than um, carbon dioxide, which is the gas we talk about a lot. Um, but it also creates other pollutants that really affect air quality. Um, where this power plant was proposed in Astoria is part of an area known as Asthma Alley. You know, at a lot of our different rallies and stuff, we had, you know, people who grew up in the community and kids saying that in that area, people compare, you know, inhalers um, on the playground and stuff. So this would contribute to, you know, the, the really poor air quality already and the health in this area and take us in the opposite direction of where we actually need to be going for our climate goals. So that's why people were just absolutely opposed to it. And the community responded very quickly because you know they've been dumped on for decades. There's other power plants in this area. There's pipelines that go through it. Con Ed stores gas there. Um, so the community responded very quickly because they, they know the impacts firsthand. And can you uh, say when the, this uh, plant was uh, first proposed and then the the organizing that that gained momentum uh, you kind of lay out how y'all brought together this this coalition yeah i can't even remember the exact date but it was proposed a few years ago um this plant that that nrg they're a gigantic fossil fuel company that they currently run has to shut down anyway by 2023 um, because of different pollution rules and so years ago they proposed this new power plant um really under the radar and then they kind of shelved it because it just wasn't financially, it didn't make sense for them. But now that there's this new law where they're going to have to shut down because of something called NOx, it's one of the pollutants, um, now that they're stronger pollutant um, laws, they brought this plant back up and they were doing it very under the radar. Um, you know, it looked like the Department of Environmental Conservation was going to just rubber stamp it. And it was actually a local um, DSA eco-socialist um, who heard about it, let other DSA eco-socialists know. Um, then they reached out to some folks like Sane Energy, who I work for, and other groups that have been fighting frack gas projects for a long time, like Food and Water Watch, um, Sierra Club. And so we really started just organizing. And what we have found in the past, especially when it comes to the Department of Environmental Conservation, is like they will listen to our laws, but only if we build enough political pressure. So there was a rally last summer in Astoria. We helped people submit thousands and thousands of public comments that really laid out the fact that this this power plant would go against our laws, the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act. So we kind of built, you know, the factual and scientific and legal groundwork that the DEC had to make the right decision. And then we also just built mass political pressure. So, you know, every elected official in the area has come out against it, including, you know, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, Senator Schumer came out against it. And, you know, there was you know, and a lot of those elected officials were, you know, very strongly, you know, not like towing the line. They were very much against it. 
Um, and I really want to give a shout out to, you know, the staffs of both AOC's team um, and um, assembly members or on Mandami's team, you know, because they were also with people like knocking on doors and sending postcards, um, which I think really shows that when you elect organizers to office um, in these fights, it helps so much because they actually really helped us, you know, build the base against it and educate their their constituents. You know, this is an issue that Zoran ran on, um, as well as Tiffany Caban, who is, you know, very likely going to be the city council person for that area now. So it really was, you know, a very wide coalition of grassroots groups, you know, led by the Astoria community, um, the people who are who are most impacted. And, you know, the governor heard us and the DEC heard us. Um, and their decision was was very, very strong. Um, they confirmed that frack gas does not comply with the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act and really, you know, saw through a lot of the greenwashing that um, NRG had done to try to get this passed. And then I don't think that would have happened at all without the, you know, just massive and amazing uh, organizing that happened. Right. No, definitely. Western Queens has really uh, uh, moved to the left in the last uh, couple of election cycles, uh, first with AOC's election and then as you were saying with uh, Tiffany Caban and Soren Maldani. So, yeah, definitely a, an example of uh, uh, outside organizing and, and inside allies. Um, and, and speaking of that, uh, there, there's been a campaign underway for the last year or two um, to kind of go beyond fighting these defensive battles against one bad uh, project or another and to uh, really try to move toward a, a more public uh, uh, utility and energy system here in New York. Uh, can you talk about uh public power and and as a as a concept and and the organizing that's going on with that yeah you know sane energy is very very proud to be a member of the public power ny coalition um one of the reasons we got involved in that coalition is because we've been fighting national grid here in brooklyn um, from building fossil fuel infrastructures and it just became so clear that these corporate utilities um are never going to do the right thing and also you know Part of the reason we are in this situation, we are in a climate crisis is because the way the fossil fuel industry operates, right? You know, they're extracting in one community and dumping them and treating them as a sacrifice zone, all to, you know, really extract profits from our communities. So, you know, it's not enough just to stop NRG from building a frack gas power plant in Astoria. We also want to make sure that what we're replacing that with is publicly owned energy. So the bill that the Public Power Coalition will be fighting for this year in Albany is the Build Public Renewables Act. And that would allow an authority that already exists, um, the New York Power Authority, to finally build utility scales renew renewables you know, at utility scale. So right now they can only build a few small projects. This would allow the state to actually, you know, instead of building a new frack gas power plant, build a bunch of solar panels or wind turbines or things that could replace that power. And instead of it being owned by some evil fossil fuel corporation, it would actually be owned by the people. So one that makes things a lot cheaper for us um, because, you know, we're not having to worry about paying for, you know, National Grid's CEO's um, salary or the CEO of NRG's salary. Um, and it really makes sure that we can, you know, no longer be held hostage by the fossil fuel industry. Because, you know, what NRG said is like, hey, we need this power plant for the hottest days of the year. But we know that the days are getting hotter 
precisely because companies like NRG are burning frack gas. And, you know, we're fighting National Grid in North Brooklyn, and they're saying they need gas storage for the coldest days of winter. But we know the coldest days are these polar vortex and things um, that are exactly being caused by the fossil fuel industry. So the Build Public Renewables Act would really allow us to, you know, free ourselves um, from the horrible situation um, that we've been trapped in because the fossil fuel industry has just had so much power um, in our state and, and country. Right. And uh, our next guest uh, hasn't quite been able to join us yet. And we were going to talk about uh, uh, the Glasgow Climate Summit that's going on right now. And um, we, we hope they'll be joining us shortly. But uh, your your thoughts on the relation between the, the kind of work uh, Sane Energy and other groups are uh, doing here in New York and these uh, larger uh, global uh, climate uh, negotiations that are uh, ongoing for many years in the United Nations and, and once again happening this week in Scotland. Yeah, you know, I mean, I was at COP21 and in, uh, this was the end of 2015. Um, and, you know, in that time, hundreds of frac gas power plants have been built. You know, so no matter what Joe Biden is, you know, over there saying, whatever lofty goals, you know, the reality is, is, you know, fossil fuel capital has been on the march in the United States, and that really hasn't stopped. And the only time we actually defeat projects is when the community stands up. And there's actually been, you know, obviously really amazing communities that have fought back and and have still lost, you know, what we just saw out at Line 3 in Minnesota, um, at Standing Rock. Um, even here in New York, you know, there were fights to stop a power plant from being built in Dutchess County and Weyweyanda. Um, And so I think it's really important to, as we, you know, that no matter what the promises are, they can't be greenwashed. You know, National Grid is one of the sponsors right now of COP26. So we need serious commitments to stop new fossil fuel projects and making sure that money on a federal level, state level are going directly to our communities to, to replace these projects. And also just everybody should know, like indigenous organizers are the most like amazing. That's one thing I discovered at COP21. Uh, they just interrupted everybody in the most beautiful and powerful ways. So listen to those voices um, who are right there in COP now. It, right. And it, it, as someone who attended a, a COP conference, uh, can you describe it? What else can you describe about one of these conferences? Like uh, what's it like to be there essentially as a, an outsider? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very bizarre. I was doing some filming, actually, and, and went to, like, one of these very, like, swanky setups that they had where there was all this nice food, and there was, like, the European country promoting their frat gas pipeline and, and all the nuclear people, um, you know, people who are just regular community activists have to really fight to get space in COP. You know, they might be invited to speak here and there, but where they really make a difference is often like big disruptions of say, you know, I remember a disruption of indigenous activists of Governor Jerry Brown from California that was incredibly powerful or, or beautiful art. Um, in Paris, it was it was very intense in, in 2015 because I was right after they had a terrorist attack. They weren't going to allow a big march and we only knew like the morning of the march that we weren't going to be risking arrests, you know, doing this big red line march in Paris. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're very much like protected by the police and it is, it is very corporate. Um, and it's a chance for a lot of corporations to, to greenwash what they're doing. Um, like I said, National Grid is one of the lead sponsors there. And, you know, here they are building a frack gas pipeline through black and brown communities in Brooklyn. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's difficult. You know, I've been thinking a lot about the passage of time and 
how much money has been wasted. I remember a lot of like solar tech bros being like, oh, this is the market signal we need in 2015 and everything is going to be great. Well, we are inching along on solar and we've built a ton of frack gas. So, you know, um, it's, it's definitely a weird environment and it's not very equitable. People from the global south who are the most impacted have a very hard time getting there or having space. Um, you know, a lot of it really is just kind of a, a greenwashing of the, you know, capitalist fossil fuel system that has got us into this mess in the first place. Yes, uh, corporate copulating. It's a grim sight. Uh, so um, we're, we're going to, in our next segment, we're going to talk more about COP, but uh, Lee Zishi from Sane Energy, thank you so much for joining us this evening to to talk about the big victory out in Astoria and all the work you all are doing around uh, trying to bring public power to New York. Thanks so much. You bet. Okay, so we'll be back after a short break, and then we'll talk with uh, Nancy Romer from the New York City People's Climate Movement. was Higher Ground by Stevie Wonder, and you're listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI Radio in New York. I'm John Tarleton, editor-in-chief of the Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website. Uh, in our uh, third and final segment, we're going to uh, talk more about uh, the COP26 uh, UN Climate Summit that's underway in Glasgow, Scotland. Uh, so much at stake. Uh, certainly here in New York, we've seen the power of climate change over and over again. Hurricane Sandy, Hurricane Ida, uh, subway stations flooded. Uh, with uh, torrential rains and and so much more. And uh, I'm now joined by Nancy Romer of the New York City People's Climate Movement. Nancy, welcome to 99.5 FM. Thank you, John. Yeah, so you have a really outstanding article in the November issue of The Independent um, that really uh, spells out what's at stake in, in Glasgow. Uh, for our listeners, can you uh, uh, so kind of sum that up and, and outline uh you know, what is uh, on the table at Glasgow and what needs to happen and your concerns about what, um, how uh, leaders may fall short again. Well, what's on the table is trying to keep global climate, uh, global temperatures down, uh, uh, no no more increase than 1.5 degrees Celsius. It's 2.7 Fahrenheit uh, from pre-industrial temperatures. And, uh, we're shooting right past that. 
it, it means a, a, a decrease in uh, carbon emissions globally by 50% by the end of the, um, the decade, and then quickly decreasing further after that. Um, there has only been increases, not decreases, since the last COP, even though there were all sorts of promises. Um, one of the big problems is uh, that um, heads of state or their representatives will make a promise, and then they don't always, they're usually not able to keep that promise because they have to deal with the politics back home. In the case of our uh, country, it's great that Biden will make a lot of noise in favor of keeping temperatures uh, down, but then he's got to deal with the Congress and not being able to even fulfill Build Back Better. So that's one big problem. Another big problem in COP is that there is not an enforcement mechanism. It's a um, a, a club of choice. There's no, there's no way that uh, they can uh, create enforcement mechanisms. Uh, so that even if a good agreement is set, it, it doesn't mean that the nations will actually come through and um, uh, actualize uh, the, their promises. And certainly that's happened in the United States. And we saw what happened with the last COP, uh, Trump just dropping us out completely of the Paris Climate Accords. So it's uh, it's sort of a club uh, that you decide to join and you can decide to drop right out of it. And some of the larger emitters, carbon emitters like China and 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 Russia, not as bad as we are, Russia, but pretty bad. Uh, they're not even there. So I think that um, uh, we shouldn't have our hopes set on uh, COP26, although right. can, it's that it happened. Right. And, and can you talk about the people's movements uh, around the world as well as here in New York that are are trying to uh, create a accountability to, to finally get our leaders to really take serious, committed action? Well, I want to say what I want to follow up on Lee's wonderful report. Okay. And that, is that one of the, the good things that comes out of the cops is greater unity of the global climate justice movements. Because what ha it's true that they're sidelined or they're a little maybe wined and dined or allowed a buffet here or there. But the most important part of the COP in terms of people's movements is that they get together. These movements get together. They get to talk to each other face to face and make plans for the future. It, it helps in the globalization of the climate justice movement. So that's a big plus. Um, something comes out of that. Uh, so so let, let's not completely dismiss the process. Sure. What's going on in, in um, I'll, I'll talk about New York City and New York State. Uh, that's most of your audience. We are uh, painfully aware that we may not get very much from Build Back Better in terms of climate policy. We'll get a little cutting around the edges and some tax breaks and stuff for uh for climate projects, but it's, and, and we're build not back going better to... is is President Biden's uh, uh, social infrastructure plan that's uh, been hamstrung in Congress for for months. Correct. Right. It's social in infrastructure and it has climate features too. Uh, most of the the larger climate features um, are, are being um, eliminated by Manchin. So. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we can't expect huge changes, tiny changes, yes, small changes, yes, but not big ones from the federal government. Biden himself has said Plan B, which is the states, 
the states need to move on climate change and make make the difference. Now, I mean, it, it, of course, it's going to be better if it's global and it's going to be better if it's national. Um, and what we've got right now are the states. And we're fortunate to be in New York State, which is a large state, a powerful state, and hopefully a progressive state. We'll see. Uh, California, the same. There are a number, Illinois, there are a number of of um, states that can actually have an impact. Um, but in New York State, we we I have some bringing some good news. All right, is, bring it on. I'm happy to bring some good news. Um, about 20 organizations that have been working in the state, including the very large one, New York Renews, and uh, other ones like the Public Power Coalition and um, a, a number of a number of the 350s and uh, New York Communities for Change are all coming together in a collaborative called Climate Can't Wait 2022. And we will be bringing forth a dozen uh, bills to the state legislature. We'll all be supporting these 12 bills, although different organizations will take the lead in organizing on those particular bills. And if we were able to do that, we'd see a big change in New York State. So there's a lot of exciting things happening. If people are interested in plugging in and helping in small ways and large ways, I've got a movement for you. <laughs> Great. And, and, and speaking of movement building, uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, the the growth and evolution of uh, New York City people's climate movement? Uh, that was another uh, group that really came out of a, a mass protest moment, as I recall, the, the people's climate march in September of 2014, I think 400,000 people participated in the march. I mean, the independent covered that um, like a blanket that whole summer. But after that march was over, you all kept on uh, sort of marching uh, through the institutions and, and winning some uh, important battles. Well, we have. And, and I, I, I must say, from the very beginning, the People's Climate Movement was always a big coalition of lots of groups. So we, we sort of we've got the name. But okay. the reality is so much bigger. So sure. I don't want to claim the mantle of all that work because that would be that would not be honest. But I, I think we one of the roles that we've played is to get people out on the street. Many other groups have also played that role. But People's Climate Movement nationally has played that role, although they're quite dormant right now nationally. Locally in New York City, we've definitely played that role um, of uh, there isn't a big demo that we don't love. So we feel very strongly that, uh, yes, you have to have electoral work. Uh, yes, you have to have the research, but you also have to have people in the street pushing for the changes that we need and engaging people to make it a mass movement. Right. And in the, in the march that you all did through the financial district on Friday, uh, when you all stopped in front of the Federal Reserve uh, City Comptroller, Scott Stringer was there, and, and he really credited you all and others for uh, pushing him and other city leaders to divest billions of dollars in, in fossil fuel stocks from the city pensions, and we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to wrap it up very quickly. But speaking of that gathering in front of the Federal Reserve, why why the Federal Reserve? If you can, in about twenty seconds, explain why that's now a focal point. Because they they help fund the fossil fuel industry. Almost the entire financial industry supports fossil fuels. 
We need to make them a, a pariah industry and we need to withdraw all the funds we possibly can from pensions from the Federal Reserve from people's own investments. We've got to get rid of fossil fuels. That message has to be loud and clear. Let's pull the rug out from under them. Okay. Thank you so much, Nancy Romer from the New York City People's Climate Movement. And that's uh, about wraps it up for uh, this evening's uh, news hour. I want to thank uh, Reggie, John- uh, Reggie Johnson, our uh, board operator, our producer, Amba Gagarian. Uh, we will be back at 7 p.m. for a two-hour election night special from 7 to 9 p.m. here on WBAI. We'll talk about New York elections and, and uh, the upcoming city government. We'll also be looking beyond New York, uh, Buffalo, Virginia other places with key races going on tonight. And we're going to have a whole roster of fantastic guests, including WBAI's Tom Robbins and Ben Max, Alex Vitale, Linda Alkoff, many other guests. So look forward to uh, being with you again at 7 p.m. Good job, Ben.